Praise the Lord. You are destined to win. God spoke to me in August of 1980 and said to proclaim the word of faith, be a showcase of ministries, and train people to fulfill the word of God. The message that you're about to hear was recorded in a live meeting where the Lord used me to teach the uncompromising word of faith. So open your heart to receive the ministry of the Word of God today, and you will be changed, empowered, and motivated to fulfill the Word of God in your life. Today I want to talk to you about something that's very important, but probably you haven't heard a lot of teaching on. And it's talking about this topic, your personal perspective. Your personal perspective is important. Now, to explain how your personal perspective is indeed important, it's necessary to first define an important term. And the term I want to define is theology. I know that's a that's a heavy sounding word for a lot of people. It's a, it's a word that's not used very commonly. And uh, we know that in the common vernacular, it's, uh, it's not something that is typically defined. If you break it apart and look at it uh, as theo and ology, we know we found out when we were very young that ology is the study of. Theo, of course, is God, so the study of God, well, <laughs> that, um, that probably is a little heavy for some people. But the term theology has come to mean a great many things to different people. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines theology as the study of religious faith, practice, and experience, the study of God and God's relation to the world. And the second definition that it gives is a theological theory or system, a distinctive body of theological opinion. Now, it's that second definition that I'd like to elaborate on as we talk about this. We are a product of everything we've been taught, everything we've heard, and everything we've experienced in terms of our understanding of the world and how it works. I mean, think about the scripture in Romans ten seventeen. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? Faith comes by hearing. So what we've heard impacts what we believe. So what we've heard and what we've experienced, that determines our perspective. Now, this understanding can and should be informed by our study of God's Word, obviously. That's what should guide and direct our personal beliefs. But to put it simply, no matter what we may personally believe from our personal experiences, our understanding of the world must be formed by what God says and what his word says alone. As I pointed out, the second definition that Merriam-Webster gives is that theology is a distinctive body of theological opinion. Now, this body of theological opinion is formed by the understanding, an individual's understanding, of the word of God. Unfortunately, a lot of people allow their understanding of the Word of God to be affected by their life experiences, their past teachings, like, for instance, how they were raised, what church they were raised in, 
and the doctrines that they've heard before. Now, this allows two people from two different theological backgrounds to look at the Word of God and interpret it in a way that supports their basic understanding of their theological study. Now, for instance, let's use Abraham and his experience with Isaac. Now, we know that God told Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac to God on the altar. Now, one theological opinion would look at that incident and say, well, you see, God was tempting and trying Abraham to see what he would do. Now, the same individual would probably say, God is omniscient. He knows all things. He knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. So, as a matter of course, why would God need to tempt or try Abraham if he already knew what he would do? Now, think about that. This is a theological position, yeah, but it's inconsistent. In fact, James 1.3 says very plainly, Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Now, the word tempted here, as it's used in James 1.3, in the Greek, means tempted, tested, or tried. So the Bible tells us not only that God does not try or tempt anyone, but further, you're not even to say that he would do that. From the perspective of the word of faith theological thinking, which is, of course, the perspective I'm coming from, because this is word of faith ministries. <laughs> you know, I'm a word of faith minister. From the perspective of word of faith theological thinking, how do we see what some would call this this incident of the temptation, let's put that in quotes, temptation of Abraham? Well, the first thing you need to understand is that God is a God of covenant. And the way covenant works is that you get all of your covenant partners' abilities, capabilities, and resources. And in turn, your covenant partner gets all of your abilities and capabilities and resources. Now, we know this from a study of covenant. When one partner cuts the covenant with another partner, the first partner must be willing to do anything that the second partner would do in a given situation. And he must use all of his ability and all of his resources to fulfill the covenant. Now, what God was asking Abraham to do in sacrificing his only son was in effect putting him, putting God, in a covenant position to sacrifice his only son for all of mankind. Abraham had to be willing to do what his covenant partner was willing to do. And God knew because he is omniscient, he does know the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning, that Abraham would indeed sacrifice his son. Now further from Abraham's perspective, he had a promise from God that it was through his seed, that is his son Isaac, that God would make him the father of a great nation. Abraham knew that the fulfillment of the promise must come through Isaac. 
and he knew that if God required him to sacrifice Isaac and burn him on the altar, then God would have to raise him up. Now, how do we know that that's true? How do we know that's what Abraham's thinking and thought process was? Because Hebrews eleven nineteen says that Abraham, talking about Abraham, that he accounted that God was able to raise him, raise Isaac up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. In other words, it was in Abraham's mind. Well, if God's going to have me sacrifice my son, he's just going to have to raise him up. Now, why does the Bible tell us this? It tells us this in order to demonstrate that Abraham understood that the promise was through his son Isaac. And then if God was requiring him to sacrifice Isaac, God would necessarily have to raise Isaac up from the dead. This account in Hebrews 11 is in the list of those of great faith. In fact, this is one of the greatest demonstrations of faith that we have. And that's why it's in what we call the Hall of Fame of Faith. All the folks listed here in this Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews 11 That's talking about people who really knew how to trust God, really understood about faith. Now, Abraham so trusted God, he so believed in God that he was willing to sacrifice his only son, the son of promise, the son he had believed for for so long and loved so dearly, knowing that God would raise him up from the dead. Now, God, therefore, as his covenant partner, was then able to legally sacrifice his only son, Jesus, and he received him raised from the dead, even as Abraham's faith had believed and knew that God would do for him. Now, do you see the difference in perspective? One has God doing something terrible and cruel. The other has God being a loving God, that wanted to save all of mankind and needed his covenant partner to demonstrate that he was truly in covenant. It's a difference of perspective that makes all the difference. And you can see from this incident, from the scripture, that it can be viewed from two different perspectives. And if you look at scriptures using these rose-colored glasses of a theology that says, that God does cause people problems or tempts them or does evil to them, then the tint of those glasses will color everything that you see in a particular given scripture. However, from a word of faith theological perspective, we can look at the same exact scripture and get a very different message. We don't get a message that God tempts, In fact, we know from the book of James, remember the the verse we read earlier, that we're to specifically not say that God tempts or tries, but rather we get the message that God is kind, he's loving, and he's a covenant-keeping God. He's full of compassion. Now, there are those that would say, well, doesn't God allow bad things to happen to Christians? Well, To understand this, we have to go back and understand 
that the scripture says that God would allow, that word allow, sickness to come upon his people in the Old Testament. The word allow here is not used in the causative sense, but in the permissive sense. Now the difference, simply put, is this. God did not desire or engineer sickness to come upon his people. The sickness in that particular situation came because of the people's disobedience. Now, I've often used the example when I've taught messages before of a person with an umbrella. And you can hold the umbrella over your head and you can step out into the rain. Now, the rain's there, right? It's falling. It's falling on everybody equally. But you have that umbrella over your head, you step out in the rain, the, the umbrella will protect you from getting wet as long as you stand under the umbrella. But now if you drop the umbrella down and maybe even close it while you're standing in the rain, what's going to happen? You're going to get wet, <laughs> right? Now, the bottom line is, like I said, the rain's out there. It's going to fall on everybody. And it's possible to get wet if you step out from under your protection. In fact, you're going to get wet. Now, God had a covenant with his people, even in the Old Testament, for protection. But when they were disobedient and they stepped out from under his protection, then the evil and the sickness that was in the world through Satan, because he's the little G-O-D, God, of the world system. You know, he got his authority when Adam gave over his authority, Adam's authority, to the devil by committing high treason there in the book of Genesis. But Satan is the little G-O-D God of the world system. But his sickness, his disease, his calamity, it's out there in that world system. It's like the rain. It exists. <laughs> it's available. But it's not for the believer. If they stay under God's umbrella of protection... Now, here's the question a lot of people are going to ask. Well, how do I choose to stay under that umbrella? Okay, that is a key question. You do it by your words. I want you to think about this. A lot of people say, oh, Dr. Bill, you're always talking about words, words, words. Well, that's the key. God tells us that he set before us life and death, blessing and and cursing. Didn't say he caused the death. Didn't say he caused the cursing. He said, here's your choices. He said, life and death is in the power of the tongue. Now, Deuteronomy 30, 19 says he sets life and death, blessing and cursing, and then he gives them a hint. Choose life. <laughs> you have to choose life. How do you do it? By the power of your tongue. What we say what we decide, therefore, determines our ultimate outcome, whether we live in life or whether we die, death. The question that people ask, well, why does God allow bad things to happen to Christians? No, that question ought to be rephrased. It's, that's not the right question. The real question is, why do Christians allow bad things to happen in their lives? That's the real question. Why do they choose words 
that bring evil and negative things into their lives. Uh-huh. You say, well, but Dr. Bill, that's not my decision. Oh, it is. See, that's the difference in perspective. The people that think God's doing all this, that's one perspective. But then the Bible tells us, God said, I put a choice before you, life or death, blessing or cursing. Hey, choose life. Well, God, how do I choose life? Through words. It's the power of words. Your choice to use words from the scripture, which lead to life, and the promises of God, or words that lead to death and destruction and evil. So now we see that the theological perspective of some would force them to try to understand how a loving, kind Father God could do the things that they believe he does to his own children. How could a loving God cause his children to be sick? How could a loving God do all these See, their perspective's wrong. If God truly did the things to his children that he's been accused of in our society, he'd be arrested for child abuse. But listen, our God is not abusive. He does not punish his children physically with sickness and disease. No, the Bible tells us that he does chasten his children. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that if you're not chasing the Lord, then you're not his children. Or you're, the Bible actually uses the term bastards. That's pretty harsh, but it's, it's what it says. But God doesn't punish his children physically. No, when the Bible talks about chasing his, chastening his children, it says that he chastens his children in their spirit. See, God's a spirit, and he chastens in the spirit. Now, I'm sure if you're a believer, <laughs> you, you've had many occasions when you read a scripture and you felt, ooh, that prick in your heart. That's the chastening that God does. He doesn't cut off your arm. <laughs> he doesn't give you cancer in order to chasten you. Matter of fact, we're told very specifically that if it is killing or stealing or destroying, then that comes from the devil. That's in John 10.10. John 10.10 says that Satan's the one who comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. But it also says, conversely, that Jesus brings full and abundant life. He's come to bring that full and abundant life. That's a distinction. That's a battle line that's drawn in the word of God very clearly. Satan kills, steals, and destroys. It's like my pastor Ed Taylor has, has often said, says quite a, quite a bit. If you're wondering what's going on in your life, who's causing it, get yourself a ledger, a piece of paper. Put it at the top, killing, stealing, destroying. That's the devil. And then on the other side of the column, put abundant life and blessing. That's God. And then list out all the things that are killing, stealing, and destroying in your life, and you know where they're coming from, that's the devil. List out all the things that are blessing in your life, that's God. And you got to keep it straight. you got to keep that straight because that's the whole point of your perspective. 
That's what we're talking about here. Your personal perspective determines how you deal with things. It determines whether you choose to fight against things in your life. See, if you really believed, you truly believed that God was the one bringing sickness and disease and and the doctor tells you that you've got cancer, then if you really believe that was God and that was his will for your life, then you shouldn't fight it. You shouldn't resist it. You ought to get down on your knees and pray, Oh, Lord, if this is your will for my life, give me double. But how many people do that? Tuh. I don't know of anybody that does that. They fight it. They tell the doctor whatever it takes. Chemotherapy. I don't care. Whatever I have to go through. I want this thing gone. Well, now, wait a minute. If that was truly of God, then why would you want it out of your life? If that was God's will, you see what I'm saying? But we know better than that, really. If we put that leisure out, like Pastor said, and look at it, killing, stealing, destroying, well, cancer, guess what, would fall right under that. (laughs) That's coming from the devil. Well, guess what? The devil's our enemy. That means sickness is our enemy. That means we fight it. Amen? We resist it. We come against it. Amen. And you know that's what you should do. Now, there are those that say, well, we can't avoid problems like sickness and disease. In fact, now this is what some say, God may have a greater purpose in our experiencing these things. Now, what I'm submitting to you is that this perspective is coming from a negative or non-word of faith theological stand. In our Christian walk, from a faith perspective, these things are not inevitable. In fact, this is the key that a lot of people miss. It's under our control, not God's control. goes back to what I said earlier. God has set before us life and death, blessing and cursing, And then he's told us, choose life and do it with your words. Now, we do live in a world that's dominated by an evil force. That of our enemy, the devil. We are in a spiritual battle. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely know that. And Satan is constantly trying to deceive us into using our own authority and our own power to use our own words to put us in a situation that's evil or negative or destructing. But it's still our choice. Now, we can allow ourselves to be deceived by Satan to speaking what he wants us to speak, to act as he wants us to act, and we'll get the results of stepping out from under that umbrella we talked about earlier, right? We will get wet. And what does that mean? We'll have pain, we'll have sorrow, we'll have sickness, we'll have disease. But guess what? That is not God's best. That is not his desire. And in fact, this is the key point, it's ultimately not even his choice. That's why he gave us the choice. That's why he said, look, I'm sitting here before you, life and death, blessing and cursing. These are the two perspectives. Now you 
choose life. Did he say, I'm going to choose one or the other for you? No, he didn't. That's what I'm saying here. This is the key point. That's why our perspective matters so much. It is our choice. And God has given us the ability to make that choice and to take a stand against the devil, to take a stand against his plots, his plans, and his schemes. That is the word of faith perspective rather than that other negative theological perspective. Now, you have to decide which perspective you're coming from. And then approach your theology, approach your doctrine with that basic understanding. It's a basic understanding of who God is, what he will do, and it's based on a solid understanding of his word and the choices that he's put before you. Now, your decision of which theological perspective you personally come from should be informed only by your reading and understanding of God's Word, not your personal experience, not your past doctrine. You know, I'm reminded of the story that uh, Norval Hayes tells. I love this. You know, Norval was raised Southern Baptist. Well, I was raised Southern Baptist. And Norval tells the story about how he got to reading God's Word. And he saw these things from the Word of God, and he just had a hard time accepting it. And so he got down on the floor, and he just just banged the floor with his fist and said, Lord, deliver me from my first Baptist mind. Deliver me from my first Baptist mind. Well, guess what? I can sympathize with that. There's a lot of doctrine that I heard growing up, a lot of teaching, a lot of I mean, some of it wasn't even taught from the pulpit. It was just kind of a a general understanding that people had in those Baptist churches that I attended from my youth all the way up. This was just the way it was. God did this and God did that. And it was just an understood point. It was a point of view, literally. It was a perspective. And it colored everything that I heard and everything that I studied from the Word. There was things I studied from the Word that I'd look at and go, I don't understand. Well, of course I didn't understand it. My perspective was wrong. I was viewing God the wrong way. But now if you study the Word of God, and you really get into the Word of God, and you're open to what it's actually saying, and you get to know your Father God, and you get to know the fact that He's a loving kind Heavenly Father, that He wants the best for His children. Once you understand that, once you get that perspective, it will change the way you read and study the Word, and things will start making sense. But in any case, your past experiences and your past doctrine, that should not be your teacher. Your experience is not supposed to be your teacher. The Holy Ghost is your teacher. I want you to think about this. Biblical meekness, the word meekness, means in the Greek, gentleness, humility, and teachability. James 1.21. Gentleness, humility, teachability. That attitude is the proper attitude to have when it comes to getting 
revelation and teaching from the Word of God. Not, well, this is the way that we've always been taught. That's not meekness. Meekness says, Lord, you shape my perspective. You shape my thought processes. I'm just going to receive from you. We have to remain teachable. And we have to remain accepting of sound doctrine from the Word of God. In other words, don't try to hold on to doctrines that are unscriptural, but be open to receive from the Word and have your mind changed. So that's what biblical meekness is all about. But don't get me wrong. Your perspective matters. Your theological position matters. If you're going to allow your past doctrines to influence what you believe about the Word of God, unfortunately, you're going to miss some things. But if you're open to receive from the Word of God, it's going to change your life because it's going to change your perspective. And that's a key. Now, I know this has been a, a short study today, but I tell you what you need to do. You need to go back and play it over and over and meditate on it because it's critically important. Praise the Lord. Join us again. Remember until then to fulfill the word of God. I trust that you receive from the ministry of the Word of God today. If you'd like to contact me, you may write me at Dr. Bill Bailey, Word of Faith Ministries, P.O. Box 5213-5213, High Point, North Carolina, 27262. Or you may email me at this address, Dr. Bill, D-R-B-I-L-L, at W-O-F-M dot O-R-G. If God speaks to your heart about supporting our ministry financially, or you would like to receive more teaching messages from the Word of God, check out our website at www.wofm dot O-R-G. I believe and agree with you for the full 100-fold return on your giving. I also believe and know that God is richly blessing you and your family every day in every way. Praise God, you are blessed and highly favored.